the casting call producer, uh, while I was giving my one minute pitch to be on Shark Tank, his face was stone cold. He was like not impressed at all. I was like, oh, we've done a million dollars in sales and I've been in the New York Times. And like, he was just like not impressed. But at the very end of my pitch, I pull out my SAT preparation book and his eyes totally light up. Welcome to Yaro's podcast, where you'll discover the stories behind world-class performers, business builders, and enlightened leaders. Do you suffer from email addiction? Yeah, I have, and I'm a recovering email addict. Thankfully, I took a step that broke me free from the email trap. Most business owners spend a lot of time during their working day inside their inbox, and it may be even bleeding into your home life where you spend hours at night or first thing in the morning attempting to clear that email inbox. Now, it's not surprising because email is where often the most important messages come. We get messages from our clients, our potential customers, from our contractors, our employees, possibly friends and family, everything going on with our lives and our businesses. So the idea of outsourcing or handing over that email inbox to someone else is not something you may have considered before, but I wanna tell you, it is by far the most powerful productivity step you can take is to hire someone to handle your email for you. It frees you up so you have more time to do whatever you'd like, whether it's growth activities in your business, creating products, working on marketing campaigns and relationships with other people, or maybe just spending more time with your friends and your family or working on your own health, exercising, taking holidays and so forth. When you're glued to your email inbox, it keeps you away from all those activities. Now, the strange thing is we're usually very comfortable outsourcing all kinds of other aspects of our business. But for some reason, email is one of the last things or perhaps something you never have considered outsourcing to someone else. Well, I have some exciting news. I actually have a company called InboxDone.com. You may have heard of it. We provide a human being to take over your email. I've actually had someone handle my own email inboxes for over 12 years now. So I took the step to break free many, many years ago, and I haven't gone back. I now could never go back to doing my own email. It would be very difficult. And I'd like you to experience the same sense of freedom. So if you're curious on how exactly someone could take over your email and and how the process works and how you can come to trust someone to handle that all-important inbox, I recommend you head over to inboxdone.com and check out my company. There's a real opportunity here for you to potentially change your life and certainly change your business for the better. Create some freedom, some time by handing over that inbox to someone who should really spend more time there than you do because that's their job and it's not your job. Inboxdone.com, check it out. Hi, this is Yaro and thanks for joining me today. Uh, I have a, an interesting guest on the podcast who is going to share hopefully both some insight into a business that's done $20 million in revenue over eight years in the test preparation space, which is really interesting. But also my guest today uh, appeared on Shark Tank and did a deal with Mark Cuban. I've just watched the video of that episode with my guest appearing. And I have to say it was probably the quickest deal I've ever seen done on any of the, the Shark Tanks I've seen. So that was impressive in itself. And I'd like to just welcome uh, Sean Patel. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thanks so much, Yaro, for that introduction. And yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm excited to share some insights with listeners and just have a fun conversation. 
So your background story, uh, I, I obviously gleaned a little bit from the Shark Tank piece. Your mother and father were immigrants uh, from India to the States and then uh, landed in Vegas and started a motel. I'm guessing for you as a, a young guy, that was a very entrepreneurial upbringing you must have experienced just seeing your parents try and get a business off the ground. Is that pretty accurate? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of my entrepreneurial spirit has come from my upbringing. You know, um, as you said, my parents came to the United States in uh, the 80s after immigrating from India. You know, they really had nothing to start with. Uh, You know, my parents always tell me, you know, they only had about $70 and they worked odd jobs, everything from fast food restaurants to call centers. And, um, you know, when my parents finally saved up enough money, instead of buying a house, what they decided to do was actually a very smart decision, which was to buy a budget motel, a small 23-room motel. And our family lived there. And instead of a house, which you have to pay a mortgage on over 30 years and a loan, et cetera, this uh, motel would essentially generate revenue. And so, you know, I was, even as a young child, I would be, you know, renting out rooms to customers and helping with the motel work. And eventually my, my dad purchased a gas station right next to the motel. And I would work at the gas station, everything from stocking, you know, food and drinks to mopping the floors. And so, you know, I really got insight into how to run a business, how to make it profitable, cut costs. And, you know, these were small businesses, motels and gas stations that they owned. But I think that was my earliest exposure to entrepreneurship. But very, very important. You know, I think that kids that are exposed to entrepreneurship, even just the act of selling and cutting costs can really have a big impact for you later on to become a successful adult entrepreneur. I'm curious, as a, a child, you know, being, I, I won't say forced to clean you know, the, <laughs> the gas station and work in the motel, I can imagine myself in that situation. I might be kind of upset that I have to do that job. <laughs> no doubt, just because you're family, not like, uh, you know, getting paid or anything like that. So, what was your feeling, if you remember back at that time, were you, you know, maybe obviously you might have been wanting to support your family, but were you also feeling like I got to break free from this and maybe even taking some, I won't say necessarily wishing to copy your parents, but maybe spotting what they were doing well versus what you thought they might not be doing that well, which then impacted your entrepreneurial career when you became an adult? Yeah. Uh, You know, what's interesting is they actually did pay me, quote unquote, I wasn't on payroll, but they would give me like $5 an hour or something. It was something so small, but I, I loved it. I thought it was so rich, you know, when I was, (laughs) uh, you know, 10 years old and making five bucks and, you know, I could go buy whatever I wanted with the money if, if I worked long enough hours. And, you know, I think one of the big things I learned from that is just you know, having employees is so, so important to running a successful business because you're able to have other people run the day to day and expand the limited number of hours that you have as one person. Uh, You know, you only have 24 hours in a day, but if you start hiring people, you can really multiply the productivity and multiply the success that you can have with any business. 
So take us forward, uh, Sean. You, you obviously grew up in that environment. Now, I know in, in my case, uh, when I reached, you know, graduated from school, I wasn't looking to get a job. I was hopefully going to find a way to be financially independent. I had no clue of how I was going to do that. It sounds like reading your kind of background and even the fact that you got into this sort of preparation world, you were very academic from a young age. So were you actually planning on maybe even becoming a university professor or certainly getting a job after university and following that traditional career path? Because all of that's very non-entrepreneurial uh, if you look at it just from the, you know, a good student studying side of the fence. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that's a very interesting point that you bring up, which is, you know, a lot of people don't think that good students can be good entrepreneurs. And that is the case. You always hear the stories of the Bill Gates and the Mark Zuckerbergs who dropped out of college and, you know, started billion dollar companies. And a lot of people equate actually not the best students of being the best entrepreneurs. But, you know, what was interesting growing up is my parents, again, I have to credit them not only for my entrepreneurial spirit, but also my educational spirit. So they really instilled in me a value of education very early on, which is why I did so well in school. And, uh, you know, one attribute or one trait that I think is super important to share with listeners and to share with anyone who wants to be successful is whether you want to be a successful student or you want to be a successful entrepreneur, the most important trait or the most important secret that you can have is self-control. You know, there was a famous Stanford marshmallow experiment done in the 70s where they essentially, they put these five-year-old children in a room with a marshmallow and uh, it was just one child at a time and they would tell the child, well, you can have this marshmallow now or you can wait 15 minutes and if you wait 15 minutes and don't eat the marshmallow, then we'll give you a second marshmallow. And what they were doing was testing these children on how much self-control they had, how much they could delay the gratification of eating that marshmallow in order to be rewarded later. And what was so interesting about the study was that they followed these kids 20, 30 years later and the one third, about 33% didn't eat the marshmallow immediately. And those one third of those children, the hundreds of kids they tested, were more successful on so many different life measures. They got higher test scores. They were more healthy. They were more popular. They earned higher salaries. And so, you know, one thing that I will say is that the thing that does equate good students and good entrepreneurs is as a student, you have to be able to have enough self-control to put away the Facebook, the Snapchat, the Instagram, et cetera, and study. But it's the same thing for an entrepreneur. For an entrepreneur to be successful, you also have to have a lot of self-control to maybe not take that job immediately and work on your business or not go out every night of the week with your friends and work on your business, et cetera. So, you know, I think no matter what, if you want to be successful, the biggest thing that you can have is self-control. So what was your plan, though, going into your studies? Did you expect to graduate and then get a job? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that was always the plan, which was to go to a great university. You know, one of the biggest reasons I think that I I studied so much and studied so hard was I wanted in the States, it's very, very expensive to go to college. You know, some of these colleges now cost $200,000 for a four-year degree. And so I wanted to get scholarships. So by doing well on my testing and in school, I would be able to get scholarships and go to a great university, get a job, etc. Yeah, the the plan was actually never to be a test prep entrepreneur. I, I kind of actually just stumbled upon that. Now, when you say you stumbled upon it, can you take us through this process? So you were in university studying. Now, I know from and of course, I'm going to include a link to your, your Shark Tank appearance because there's a you know, bit of background info about you there. But mm-hmm. uh, based on that, it sounds like you very heavily relied on your SAT score. Now, I grew up in Australia and we don't have an SAT score. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not as familiar with that other than having seen it on so many uh, American TV shows, people studying <laughs> for their, their SATs. Um, yeah. But can you maybe connect the story in the sense that you're studying and you want to go to a, a better school, but you, you didn't have the SAT score to do that initially. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So in the United States, basically, you take the SAT to go to university from high school. And the better your score, the better opportunities you have to go to a better university, get scholarships to essentially pay for that university. And so for me, when I was in high school, I was able to uh, basically on my um, original SAT, you can take it multiple times. So the first time I took it, I only got around average. I didn't do that well. But then I spent hundreds of hours studying for the exam. And I was able to raise my SAT score to get a perfect score, which is very, very rare. About 0.02% of all students are able to achieve a perfect score. And so that totally changed my life and my opportunities. I was able to go to terrific universities. I won a quarter million dollars in university scholarships. I even got to meet the president of the United States. And so, you know, my life had completely changed because of this one exam that's so, so important in the United States that when I got to university, that's when the light bulb sort of went off in my head, which was, you know, how can I help other students change their lives by changing their exam scores the way that I did? And so that's really where the idea started to come about, about my company, Prep Expert, and or the original goal was just my own academic success, not necessarily to start a business. So is it safe to say you, you kind of hacked the study prep for this exam, like you were doing some form of studying that hadn't been done before, or you just work in way more hours than the average student did? I would say both. (laughs) I would say both. You know, I was in the library oftentimes for an entire summer, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. when they open to when they close studying. And I was working more hours and I was studying. I was developing my own strategies, different ways to solve math problems, different templates to write essays, etc. And so I obviously thought it was innovative and What I originally wanted, actually, which was so interesting, was I never planned to start a business or be an entrepreneur. What I wanted to do is I was like, okay, I improved my score so much that 
I now want to help other students do it. And what's the best way to do that? Well, I should write a book, you know, why not? I could be the first perfect score student to write a SAT preparation book or manual to help other students improve their scores. Now, this was back in 2010 when self-publishing wasn't as big of a thing as it is now. And so, you know, I went to every major publisher in the United States and I pitched this book proposal about this SAT preparation book that I wanted to write. And I pitched it to 100 literary agents and publishers and every single one rejected me. They all said, I don't have a platform to write the book. They said that the SAT test preparation market is too competitive. One publisher even said that I wasn't a good writer and he didn't find my persona very engaging. I found that very hurtful (laughs) to my ego and my mission. And so, you know, I got very, very discouraged. But, you know, when life gives you plan A, which is, you know, I could have just kept hoping that some agent or some publisher gives me a book deal and life gives you plan B, which is to give up on this little pipe dream that I have. I think that's when entrepreneurs really need to make plan C. And so I made plan C, which was I said, hey, I've written hundreds of pages of material. Why don't I package that into a SAT preparation course for students. I'll do it on my own. I'll teach it. And, you know, we'll see how it works and we'll go from there. And that's really how the business was born. It it was really born out of rejection for not getting a book deal. As so many good businesses are born from rejection, they got to prove everyone wrong. I'm curious though, like, so you obviously must have had your confidence hit a little bit in, in the sense that you're, you're facing these rejections, but then you decide to teach a course and deliver your material. Were you just thinking, let's see if I can get a few students into a room with me in Vegas where, where you were, grew up and hopefully they will improve their SAT scores from what I teach them? Is that was the kind of basic plan? Exactly. That was the whole plan. I had no idea whether it was going to work or not, as many entrepreneurs don't uh, when they're first starting out. You know, you just have to. I think that's what often separates successful entrepreneurs from unsuccessful ones, which is you have to sort of just take the leap of faith and put something out there, whether it's a product or service and see whether people receive it well or not. And so I did that, you know, I was like, I'll teach. The plan was actually just to teach one course. I was like, this isn't really going to be a a full-time thing or this isn't going to be a long-term plan, but I've already written all this stuff. It wouldn't be very difficult to at least just teach one course to see how it goes. And um, it was really, really difficult to get the first few students to sign up for the first course, because obviously this was my first time doing this. Uh, No one really knew who I was, but I was able to get about 18 kids into the first class. And how did you do that? Yeah, that's a great question, because as every entrepreneur knows, when you're first starting out, it's the hardest customer to get that first one. It's the first one. Yeah, it took me literally months just to get one customer to sign up. And, you know, I didn't know what I was doing with my marketing. 
I printed flyers. I went and flyered different high schools and talked to counselors and uh, went to schools and told them about my program, gave them brochure material. None of that worked. I bought newspaper advertisements. That didn't work. Finally, I think there were two things that really worked, which was one was, again, this was 2010, 2011 now, was search engine optimization. So I hired a firm in Vegas that specialized in search engine optimization, and they were able to essentially game the Google algorithm pretty well because it was back before Google was sophisticated like it is today. And we were able to rank number one or in the top few spots for Las Vegas SAT prep or Las Vegas SAT preparation courses pretty quickly. And so obviously parents that were searching for courses for the exam would see my website. And that was a great source of students that way with search engine optimization. Um, A little bit harder to do today than it was back then. Hmm. And then the second one, was exactly kind of what we're what I still do today with podcast interviews and basically media and even what Shark Tank was, which was media. And so what I did was I pitched my I didn't pitch my business, but I pitched I pitched like I could do a segment on SAT preparation tips for students and parents. And I pitched that to a bunch of local television stations in Las Vegas. And uh, one of them picked it up and obviously television stations, the news um, have tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of viewers. And I pitched, um, you know, I did the segment for the television show and that got me a lot of eyeballs and traffic for, for free. And so, you know, my, my advice to entrepreneurs who are looking to do some initial marketing is definitely PR and media is a great way to increase brand awareness and get customers for your business. But I think the number one thing to remember is the reporter or the media person that you're talking to doesn't really care about your business. You don't want to say, hey, talk. I want to have you write an article or do an interview about my business. You want to give them an interesting story like or something interesting for their readers. Like for me, I was giving tips for the exam, you know, and that was interesting to the uh, news anchor. But if I had said I want to promote my business, they'd be like, hey, go talk to the advertising department. You know, right. right. Yeah. And I love the fact that you had a, a kind of one breakthrough result. You had that perfect SAT score. And I, I doubt you would have got the television and media coverage if it wasn't for that one thing you did that was impressive, like that, like your doorway in to that free exposure. Is that fair to say? Oh, 100%. I mean, I think that wouldn't have been possible. I wouldn't have been able to get the media. You're so, so right. If I wasn't already an expert in the field that I was pitching the segment in. And I think that's another important lesson, which is you can't suddenly become an expert without having that, without having put the work in, without having had that breakthrough initially. And so like you can't start a business in an industry or a topic that you know nothing about. You have to put in that initial grunt work and those hundreds of hours learning, working in that industry or topic before you're going to start a business in it. Because I think it's so funny today when people hear buzzwords like cryptocurrency or artificial intelligence and they want to start a business immediately. And I say, have you spent a thousand hours reading about this topic and become an expert? 
Because if you haven't, then you're probably not going to be very successful as an entrepreneur if you enter an industry or a business that you know nothing about. Yeah, so true. So I'm curious then, you, you managed to fill a room with 18 students. I'm, I'm imagining you were brand new to just the basics, like how do I teach this and how do I price and charge students for this, kind of figuring it out as you go. Is that pretty accurate? Oh, 100%. It's so funny. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I had never taught a course before. I had never priced products and services of my own before. It was funny, like, you know, the courses would be at nighttime after students were in school. And so during the day, I would actually finish creating the curriculum or the coursework for the course at night. Like I was like, I was, I had so many things to do as an entrepreneur that it was like, I was always doing things at the last second, not because I was being lazy, but it's because I just had so many, you know, to run a business and this is when I had no employees and it was just myself to do every single part of a business takes an incredible amount of time, focus, effort, energy. And so, yeah, I mean, I was figuring out everything as I went, changing and reiterating curriculum, reiterating pricing as I learned more and as I taught more courses. So take us forward then, you get 18 people and then you must have decided, okay, let's do this again. And how many, like, I'm guessing a room can only hold so many people. So mm-hmm. you've, you've got a cap there, but what was, what was your thinking? I might, hey, if I do this once a week and I charge every student $50 and I get 20 in a room, I've got myself a, a full-time income here. Is that what you're thinking at the time or was it bigger than that? Yeah, you know, um, like I said, at the beginning, I didn't think it was really going to be a full time income. I thought it would be something I could do on the side. And just, um, you know, I didn't think it was gonna be a huge business. But after those 18 kids in that first class went through the six weeks of the course, it was incredible to see their score improvements. Every week, their scores kept going up and up and up, to the point that their scores had improved, you know, the SATs out of 2,400 points. And so it it improved 400 points, which was incredible. It's equivalent to taking someone who's in the 50th percentile to the 90th percentile. And so it was a huge improvement. And so what was so interesting is after that first course, it was really easy to enroll parents because I had word of mouth now, which is the most powerful marketing machine in the world, which was parents were telling other parents and students were telling other students about this great course that improved their scores so much. And so I had parents and students knocking down the door for more courses. And so that's when, like you said, I decided, you know, I got to start doing more of these courses. And pretty quickly, within a few months, I had more demand actually than I had hours to teach the courses myself. So I had to start hiring, or hired at least one in the beginning, another instructor who I trained to teach my curriculum the way that I taught my courses. And uh, that's really how it, how it got off the ground. Okay, uh, so I'm curious then. I have to ask this question. I, I don't want to turn this interview into uh, how to prepare for the SATs, but I am curious, <laughs> what is it about what you teach regarding, you know, going from 50th to 90th percentile. And maybe you can answer this in a, in a, you know, a 30 second reply, but I am kind of curious, what's unique about your teaching method or how you pass on your knowledge to get such a good result for your students? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think what's interesting about the 100 strategies that uh, we teach in the prep expert courses is that, you know, they're not developed by like a PhD in mathematics or a PhD in English, like you would, like many other courses are developed, which teach you sort of the formal way to solve an algebra problem or the formal way to solve a grammar question. You know, what I did was I said, forget all that. I'm going to teach students all these little ways to game the test to sort of bypass things. So, for example, on the math section, we teach them how to plug in answer choices in order to avoid doing any algebra at all. So I'm saying forget the algebra, just like do this to avoid the algebra. On the writing section or on the grammar section, uh, you know, I'll teach them a simple rule, which is to avoid the word being. And any answer choice they see with the word being in it, cross that out immediately. And why is that? Because it avoids passive voice. And so, like, you know, it's so interesting that that works. And then on the essay, I give them a template to use that'll get them a perfect score in the essay every single time. So there's all these, like, ways to game the test that work really well for students. And, you know, I think that it was just really game changing for not only myself, but also many students, now tens of thousands of students that have taken our courses. Mm-hmm. It's been re- reproducible. So you're, you're a real SAT hacker. That's, that's uh, <laughs> very interesting. Yeah, in a way, <laughs> I guess you could call me a hacker. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you passed on this hacking skill to another teacher. And then obviously you, you faced that situation where I wonder if the teacher I taught can also get the result for the students? Like, is my system replicatable with another teacher? Which I think I'm I'm assuming in your mind as an entrepreneur, you must have been thinking, this is so important because it breaks me free from essentially, I was a freelancer. You were a freelance teacher who then could become a business owner instead. Mm -hmm. So were you thinking that way at that point when you hired the first person? Or did that happen maybe later on when you start looking at expanding beyond one teacher? Oh, 100%. You know, I I think this goes back to, you know, I I really believe your product is your marketing and word of mouth is so powerful. So, you know, what was so important for me was when I was hiring that first instructor is I've got to hire someone who is very knowledgeable and a good teacher that can reproduce the results that we have with the curriculum. And so we still have these very high standards to hire instructors at Prep Expert today, which is an instructor has to be able to score in the 99th percentile of the tests that they're teaching. So they have to be in the top 1%, really a master of the exam. On top of that, they have to have at least 100 hours of teaching experience, but usually it's closer to 1,000 because many are teachers themselves. And so we have these high instruction standards, but on top of that, they have to be able to go through the curriculum, learn it and teach it. And we audition, et cetera, because like you said, it's so, so important to deliver your product and service in a reproducible and high quality way because if your product or your service begins to go down in quality, then so will your business. Okay, so so take us forward. Then you hire your first person, they deliver the course, the results for the students, I'm assuming, are just as good or close to it without you teaching that class. Are you facing a situation where 
you have more demand than you have teachers. So you got that kind of hockey stick growth curve, or was it more a slow and steady, you know, I'll run a second class and a third class and then I'll hire a second teacher and run a fourth class and a fifth class. And how did, how did it expand and grow? Yeah, that's a great question is, you know, it was slow and steady for a while in that, you know, the teachers that I were, I was hiring, they had plenty of time. And so they were able to take on more and more courses as we got more students. So for the first, I would say four, three, four years of the business, it was just a small business in Las Vegas, similar to my dad's gas station or my dad's motel. And, you know, we just had local business. I mean, it was going well. We were actually doubling in revenue every year, which was awesome. And I didn't do any marketing other than, you know, the, that initial PR media stuff. So I wasn't paying for any marketing. So we were doubling in revenue. So I knew that it was just because parents and students were telling other parents and students. And it was great word of mouth. But what really started to change the game was when we started online courses, because online freed us up from having to have that class, that physical classroom in one city. Now we could have students not only in Las Vegas, but in any other city in the United States and and really from from around the world. There are plenty of international students. Uh, We've even had students in Australia take our courses um, because, you know, now we have an online classroom to deliver the same curriculum through. You're speaking my language, having sold online courses for over a a decade. (laughs) I certainly know that space to a degree anyway. I'm curious, though, when did Shark Tank enter this picture? Was it before you switched to online or or after? So it was basically about, it coincided almost around the same time. We started a little bit of online a few months before we went on Shark Tank, but then we really expanded online after Shark Tank. Okay. Uh, you mentioned, you know, a hockey stick growth, and and that that was really when we hit Shark Tank it in 2016. Is is we just had hockey stick demand and growth. Okay. Well, before we talk about the Shark Tank experience, can I just ask you to maybe explain the switch to digital or adding the digital component? Because obviously that is a a different way to deliver training in my world and and a lot of the people I've coached. We're using our, you know, like a WordPress platform or even a Thinkific or, you know, Teachable, all these kind of online course delivery software platforms. And we're, we're sending our emails using email autoresponders. Did you enter that world and then just sort of record some of your training and stick it in an online membership area and then sell that to students around the world? Or was it, was it something different to that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So in the test preparation market, I would say, you know, there is the option to do sort of what we call the self-paced or the pre-recorded version of courses. And so I did record that and the initial platform that we recorded and delivered that on was actually Thinkific, and we still use that today. And that's the course of me teaching it. And it's completely pre-recorded and, and just like many online courses out there, students go through it at their own pace. For my course, it's like Netflix, but much more boring and dry. <laughs> you know, it's SAT uh, at the end of the day or an exam at the end of the day. What's actually much more popular 
and much more, I think, effective in students' cases is the live online course delivery method where students meet with an instructor at a designated time to not only go through a new curriculum, but review previous exams, ask questions, etc. So they meet for a few hours a week. And uh, the live online is much more popular because students get to work with an instructor directly and get that live feedback and instruction, et cetera, just like you would in a, in a traditional classroom. What's interesting about test preparation is the consumer and the customer are different, meaning that the customer is the parent of the student and the consumer is the student. And what's really interesting is the parent is often much older. And so this whole concept of online learning is very foreign to them. They really have grown up in a world where classes take place in a physical location. And so there's some education on our part on how exactly online courses work in a virtual live online format. Yeah, that is unique to your world, isn't it? The the person with the, the wallet and the credit card is not the person who actually consumes the product. So, and that I can imagine has a problem on the other side too with the the customer, the student, only really there because well, they probably want to improve their SAT score too. But ultimately, the parent is the one who really wants them to do the work, and they're like, "Oh, this is more studying. I have to study how to study." <laughs> you know, I can imagine it's a hard pitch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're hitting it totally out of the nail. There, are few, I mean. You know, I'd say 10, 20 percent of the students are self-motivated and they want to be there. But 80 percent, it's mom and dad making them be there. But uh, we're still able to get through to those students, too. It's just a little bit more nudging that has to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK, so let's hit this uh, Shark Tank story. So before you went on the show, what, what was the plan here? Were you thinking, let's get on there because we, uh, as I can imagine, there's only a few reasons. You either just want the exposure just as a marketing PR platform and or you want the exposure slash the expertise of having a tank, sorry, a tank, a shark, <laughs> um, support, supporting <laughs> you and, and you know giving you that advice and perhaps connecting you with platforms to, to grow your market. And of course, there's the money as well, the, the cash they give you to help you grow. So what was, were you going for all three or what was the plan in your case to, uh, to do this? Why did you do it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think for me, I, I really believe in the 80-20 principle. I just talked about it. And I'd say 80% of it was for the marketing exposure. You know, in terms of America, I think Shark Tank is the most powerful marketing machine in the world. You know, Shark Tank is, uh, for those that don't know what Shark Tank is, it's, it's essentially a reality television show where entrepreneurs pitch their businesses to very wealthy investors for an investment. And uh, it airs on primetime television on a major network in the United States that 10 million people watch on primetime television. So basically, you get a free 10, 15 minute commercial for your business worth $10 million in advertising spend because you appear on Shark Tank. So, you know, I thought that would be amazing for us to be able to get that kind of exposure. So I'd say say that's the main reason was was the marketing exposure. And then the other 20%, no doubt, you know, I made the deal with Mark Cuban and we got the quarter million dollars is, you know, obviously the business advising of a billionaire like Mark Cuban, as well as his team, has been absolutely 
so helpful in growing the business strategically. And then on top of that, the quarter million dollar investment in the business has helped us hire uh, great people to run the day to day and grow the business even faster. So your delivery on Shark Tank, which of course I'll include uh, the video in, in this podcast show notes. But when I watch that, you know, I see you come in, you talk about how you're this, you know, unique individual who got a perfect score on the SATs and then you start teaching how to do that and you have a business. Now, you didn't talk about how many students you have, how much revenue you're currently doing. I'm sure you did, but it wasn't in the actual live episode. It was probably edited out, I'm guessing. So could you maybe just take us, I mean, I love the behind the scenes of all this and how much of how much more went on beyond what we actually saw on, on that episode. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, Shark Tank is interesting. So you're in the tank. So I was probably in the tank for... I was pitching those sharks for about an hour and a half, almost two hours. Wow! And uh, yeah, and they edited it down for television to just you know five ten minutes, and they do that because they want to take out all of the boring stuff, aka the finance pieces, <laughs> all of the real business stuff. And they keep in the most dramatic parts, the most entertaining parts, because it's good for television. Yeah, we definitely, before I shook hands for a quarter million dollars with Mark Cuban, we discussed sales, we discussed um, marketing initiatives, the industry, etc. And so, yeah, I would say prior to Shark Tank, the business was doing about, we had done, uh, actually, the business w- was in business for four years prior to going on Shark Tank, and we had done about a million dollars in revenue. And since airing on Shark Tank, we Prep Expert has now done over $20 million in revenue. So, you know, we talked about hockey stick growth. I mean, Shark Tank was the marketing machine that helped launch us over the last three or four years into 20x growth from where we were at previously. I'm assuming that's because all these parents watched this Shark Tank episode and they heard you say, I got a perfect score on my SATs and I teach this. And they all said, hey, hey, Johnny or Sally, get on there and, and we're going to enroll you in this course. And they were you know, across all of the United States. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Shark Tank is a very family-oriented show. It actually worked out perfect for us because uh, families sit down and watch the show on Friday nights together. And I'm sure all of those parents who were watching with their kids and telling them, all right, we're going to go on this website right now and sign you up for a course. you know." And uh, that's exactly what happened. It was incredible. I remember my emails and phone just buzzing off the hook at the time of the airing because there were just millions of people watching the show and then thousands of them were enrolling in courses. It was really, it was really, I mean, if you create courses, it, it's really an entrepreneur who creates courses, dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. And it, it's such a good target audience for you. Mm-hmm. A couple of questions around this. So how hard is it to actually get on Shark Tank in the first place? Absolutely, yeah. So I mentioned, um, you know, getting a SAT score, uh, a perfect SAT score. The how hard that is? That's point zero two percent. What's really funny is to get on Shark Tank. About fifty thousand entrepreneurs apply every year to be on the show, and about one hundred to two hundred end up airing on television, which is about. 
0.02%. And so it's about just as hard to get on Shark Tank as it is to get a perfect SAT score. And I'm pretty sure I'm the only entrepreneur who is able to do both. So I'm, I'm extra <laughs> double, double kind of flame, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how does it go? You just you know send in a form and the producers say, we like what you're saying. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the audition process, that's it. That's a whole nother thing. So it's really interesting. They basically hold different auditions in all the different major cities across the United States. So I went to the audition that was happening in New York City. I stood in line with over 500 other entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, I'm very bad with time, so I'm late to everything. So I was like the last person in line, of course. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I stood in line for nine hours outside for a one-minute pitch to a casting call producer. And in that one minute pitch that I had practiced that one minute pitch again, I do a lot of preparation. If you haven't noticed, I practice that for dozens of hours, this one minute to try to impress this <laughs> producer. Wow. And, you know, it ended up working out and the producer passed me on to the next round for which I had to do a video audition for. And then within a few months, it was a pretty quick process. Within two or three months, they were flying me out to Los Angeles and having me pitch the sharks and uh, yeah, so so that's kind of how the process works. Just because you're such a good hacker, <laughs> Sean, it, it, you do obviously, uh, and it's not just hacking; it's hard work. But for those listening who are entrepreneurs who are thinking, you know, I want to get on Shark Tank, I want this exposure. Is there anything besides lots of practice that is a is a hack for getting on Shark Tank? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, one of the biggest things that I think really helped during my pitch, my one minute, was again, two things that we kind of talked about already, which is having the PR and media exposure. You know, like I had mentioned in my pitch, like I had been in the New York Times, the Huffington Post, um, some of these big media things. And so I think that really drove home the point to the, the casting call producer, like, this entrepreneur is already in major media outlets, so why not add Shark Tank to it, you know? So getting PR and media is so, so important to the entrepreneurs who want to be on Shark Tank, like get other media exposure first, and then establishing some type of authority in your field. Because I have a really funny story, actually, is the casting call producer, while I was giving my one-minute pitch to be on Shark Tank, his face was stone cold. He was like not impressed at all. I was like, oh, we've done a million dollars in sales and I've been in the New York Times. And like he was just like not impressed. But at the very end of my pitch, I pull out my SAT preparation book and his eyes totally light up. Like he can't believe that I'm a published author, that my face is on the front of this book. And he was like, oh, I'm gonna give this book to my nephew. And you know, it was so funny how impressed he was that I was a published author. And I know I had mentioned in the beginning of this interview that I I didn't get a book deal. But what was funny is, After McGraw-Hill, the world's largest education publisher, saw what I was doing with Prep Expert, they ended up giving me a book deal. And that book went number one on Amazon for SAT preparation. It sold tens of thousands of copies. And that's when I brought with me to the Shark Tank audition. So, you know, everything kind of came full circle. The thing that I very first wanted when I started out in all of this, which was the book, ended up being what basically got me on Shark Tank because the producer was impressed with it. 
Interesting. It's funny too, like it's almost the fact that he had a nephew who was going to be studying for his SATs gave him the personal connection to pay attention. And that's hard to predict, isn't it? You almost have to know something about the producer, which is next to impossible. So in, in some areas it's luck, but you just throw out all your best angles. Oh, I've been on press. Oh, I did something really special. I got uh, a perfect score. Oh, I've got this book. And if something grabs them, something grabs them. And that, that's, that's the hack almost. Would that be uh, fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you have to hit it from different angles. Like you said, I mentioned press, I mentioned my breakthrough, I mentioned my million dollars in sales that I had done at that point, I mentioned um, the book, and then it was finally, the the one thing that really stuck was the book. But I think what, what you have to do is mention, is you have to, like we talked about, you have to put in that hard work to get those breakthroughs, to get those early successes. Because if you just go on and you audition for Shark Tank and you're like, I have this idea, they're just gonna be like, well, what have you done? Like, have you, mm. have you gotten, have you started the business? Have you, have you made any sales yet? Have you tried to get any PR media? But if you're like, no, no, I just, I just think this gizmo would be really cool. That, like that, you're not going to get on Shark Tank for that. Right, right. <laughs> you know? So on the other side of this Shark Tank story, you came on the show asking for 10% or giving away 10% of your company for 250,000 in investment. Mark Cuban offered 20% of your company taking over for that amount. And you, I don't know if, at least in the little sample I saw, you said yes straight away. There wasn't any other sharks involved. They didn't have a chance to even make an offer by the looks of what I was seeing. And you went with him. Can you tell us what happens after all that? Do you, you, you still have a due diligence process, I'm assuming, and then the deal gets done. Do you see this money drop into your bank account? Do you get to sit down with Mark or speak to him on the phone on a regular basis? How does it all progress? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, exactly. So there is a due diligence process. It took about three or four months for the lawyers on both sides to go through all the accounting, the business licensing, et cetera, to get the deal done. Once the deal gets done, the money is, yeah, it's wired into your business bank account and you're free to use it at your discretion. Of course, I used it for like I said, hiring employees, better digital marketers, better web designers and developers, and as well as some marketing money. And then in terms of working with Mark Cuban, so we email on a weekly basis. Mark has over a hundred Shark Tank invest or a hundred investments. And so he doesn't really do phone calls, but he is available for in-person meetings as well as different events by request. And so what's really cool is I'm able to text or email him at, at any time of the day. And I'd say 90% of the time he replies within five, 10 minutes. I mean, he's really good about responding to emails. And so, yeah, I work with Mark on a weekly basis, gives me advice and puts me in touch with different people, either on his team or otherwise. And uh, yeah, it's just been an incredible dream come true. And what's the expectation for Mark and for you? Is it that you're going to exit or, or float on, on the stock market and then obviously Mark will be able to take a return on his investment in you and your business? Yeah, so what's been really awesome about the business so far is that we've been profitable and we've actually been able to repay our investment back to Mark just through distributions from the profits to uh, Mark and uh, as well as the other owner, which would be me. And so uh, that's been really great in the profitability of the business. In terms of where we're taking the business next is 
We're continuing to expand into other exams, graduate level exams, uh, doing new educational courses, uh, not only for high school students, but for college students or university students, middle younger students, and uh, doing different uh, admissions consulting and private tutoring options. So really expanding our product lines from just SAT preparation courses. And, uh, you know, if the right offer for acquisition comes at some point, I, I would certainly entertain it. But because the business is growing and profitable, there's no reason for me to to want to exit uh, something that I love and that's helping tens of thousands of people. I mean, my, my favorite part of the business is getting the emails from the parents and the students about, you know, oh my God, my, my student got into this dream university or they got $100,000 in university scholarships, et cetera. Like those are the best emails we love to see and in, in, in really changing people's lives. Mm. Yeah, that must be very satisfying. And uh, I didn't realize it was like, a, it, it's just good old fashioned dividends from profits that can pay back a shark. So that's, that's nice and simple. Yeah. And he's probably yeah. happy to keep getting more dividends as you keep <laughs> making more profits. So yeah, I'd <laughs> say it's one of his better Shark Tank investments. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think he's been very pleased <laughs> with me. So, so I think that's good. That's great. So I can hear that you're still involved with with the company what else are you doing i know you've you've got another book and you've got another company i think about on marketing like a marketing agency so what's what's the what are you working on now sean and maybe what even what's the day in the life of you i'm assuming you're not standing in those classrooms delivering training anymore but how do you live your life yeah. So now for Prep Expert, uh, you know, I really do oversee overall productivity management and strategy. So I don't run the day to day operations. I've got a great team of employees that does everything from the sales, customer service. We've got an awesome team of instructors that's really good at teaching the courses well based on the curriculum that I've written. And so, yeah, I don't do the day to day. I really manage the overall um, finances as well as strategy for the business to continue growing it. And then uh, what's the other companies and books that I've got? Yeah. So the other company I've got is really based on my familiarity, like you said, with digital or with a online courses. And with Prep Expert, we got really good at digital marketing. And so what we did is we developed a company called clearhatmarketing.com, which uh, we put together online courses to teach people about some of the marketing strategies and tactics we've used at Prep Expert, everything from PR and media to Facebook ads to automated webinars, et cetera, to teach other entrepreneurs how to succeed using these digital marketing methods. And then finally, you mentioned the book that I think would be great for anyone listening. Uh, you don't need to be taking the SATs for this book. Is I wrote, <laughs> I wrote a, a book called Self Made Success. It's um, a self development book, uh, and for entrepreneurs, it basically is. You know, it's forty eight strategies to live happier, healthier, and wealthier. It's everything I've learned over my, uh, you know, long thirty years that I have now <laughs> about um, how to be successful, not only as an entrepreneur but also in life. And I certainly encourage uh, listeners to check it out. Self-Made Success on Amazon by Sean Patel. Awesome. Now, do you have a course uh, in your new business on how to get on Shark Tank yet? 
You know, I've thought about that, and <laughs> I think it would be uh, really great. I just don't think the market size is there. <laughs> I, I know there's 50,000 people who apply every year, but I don't know how many will actually purchase a course, and so I'm not sure it's worth the time. Mm. I definitely have to consider market size. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, the, the longevity of Shark Tank as a, as a vehicle might not be around in the next two or three exactly. years. Exactly, so. yeah. You know, I really aired in, in 2016 when it was getting the highest viewership. And actually, I kind of aired at the peak, and now it's kind of declining. And at least everyone that I know doesn't watch it as much as they used to. So, so I'm glad I got in during the gold mm, rush. <laughs> yeah, you did. Now, just before we go, I think I owe it to the listeners as well to ask one more question regarding the growth phase. Because, and I'm curious too as a business owner, now, is it as simple as saying that exposure on Shark Tank was what led to going from 1 million to 20 million in revenue? Or was there a lot more that you did in the next four years? I think it was eight years in total, you said, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I, I definitely, I mean, Shark Tank definitely was a huge help, but that wasn't, you know, what's responsible for all the growth. I would say one of the biggest things that any business can do, you know, obviously Shark Tank is not something that every business can do, but it's investing in people. You know, I tell other entrepreneurs and other business owners all the time is that if there's one investment, one thing you really want to spend on is it's hiring great employees or great people to help you run your business or great contractors. You know, save money on other things, save money on your office expenses, save money on marketing, whatever it may be. But if you hire great people to help you run the business, that's what's going to be responsible for your growth because those people are going to work really hard. They're going to be smart and they're going to help you change your business from something that you're doing all by yourself to something that now can help pay their salaries and, and much more than that in terms of for yourself and for your own dividends and profits in the future. Awesome. I, I mean, I could dive in, I think, and so many more questions around your marketing techniques as you, you went from one to 20, but I think we've pretty much run out of time. Sean, what are all the websites? You, we've mentioned a few. Can you just go through everything you've talked about, all your businesses and your books? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think there's really three things that I'd love to tell listeners about. Obviously, if there are any parents who are interested in SAT preparation courses, check out Prep expert.com. And then for all the entrepreneurs, as I know, there are so many entrepreneurs listening to this podcast who are interested in learning more about sort of my digital marketing expertise and taking courses on that, check out clearhatmarketing.com. And then finally, for those that love self-development books and entrepreneurship books like myself, Go to Amazon and search Self-Made Success by Sean Patel, and you'll find my book there. I'm sure you won't be disappointed. It's definitely available in Australia as well. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll put the links to all the websites as well as the video that highlights your appearance on Shark Tank. And Sean, thank you so much for going into behind the scenes of, of both your business and your, your Shark Tank experience. I, I found that very fascinating, and, and congrats. And uh Keep up the hard work. You're a hard worker and you're, you're, you're clearly in the, the 1% of the 1%. So, you know, it's very inspiring. Thanks, Yara. Yeah, I know it was really fun to, to talk through all of this with you today and uh, sort of go from the very beginning to, to where I am today. And I appreciate you taking the time and thank you for the conversation. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Yarrow's podcast. For more episodes, visit yarrow.blog and subscribe on iTunes or Google.